And you're tuned into episode 97 of the Irish Photography Podcast, where we talk to the inventor of Lumenzia. I don't know who you are, but welcome to the Irish Photography Podcast. Sit back, relax, and listen about cameras, gear, settings, stories, and all things photography. Join Dermot and Darren on Ireland's Best Photography Podcast. Let's go. And you're very welcome to the Irish Photography Podcast. And I'm joined, as always, my good buddy down in Cork, Darren J. Spoonley. How are you keeping, my friend? Very good. No, thanks. Very good. Still stuck in isolation. Still stuck in lockdown. But I haven't lost my mind yet. So, you know, it's good. Good. It's good. Whoa, uh, whoa, looking whoa, forward. Hold on a second. Whoa, 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 whoa. You haven't lost your mind? You lost your mind a long time ago, Darren. Well, I know that is arguable, to be fair, you know what I mean? For us to do a podcast every week, you have to be a small bit insane too, and especially to do it with you, really, I suppose. Yeah, I have to <laughs> ask myself a few questions, but yeah. Um, you know, isolation has been interesting so far. You know, we've discussed it a couple of weeks back and the number of episodes that we've done, but yeah, it's it's good. I'm looking forward now to continuing on and experimenting more with taking photos, and now even with this evening's podcast to look forward to hopefully experimenting more as well and how I edit. Excellent stuff. Yes, and uh, we'll jump straight into it now in two seconds. It's just I have one bit of an announcement to make, guys. So the president of the SACC, Mark Gorman, sent me a mail just before we actually started recording. What a, a, a jumping good, in time. Absolutely time, yeah. perfect. Good timing, exactly the words I was looking for. Basically said this, um, the SACC, SACC Interclub competition, which is going ahead as a digital competition rather than a panel competition, and entries need to be in on Friday, which is going to be today when it airs, and the images will be taken on the following Sunday. And in brackets, it might it says uh, we might allow an extra few days. So take that as you wish. But the, the images are going to be judged individually and not as a panel this year, simply because of everything that's going on in the world. So, yeah, that's out of the way. It's done. So thanks, Millen Mark. Um, we, that was a great update to have. And it's great to see uh, Irish photography is still alive. So happy days. Right. So we're going to jump straight into it. Today's special guest, guys, is a guy the whole way from Minneapolis in Minnesota isn't Minneapolis Minnesota I hope it is <laughs> and he's the ev inventor of Lumenzia which is a luminosity masking program so welcome to the program Greg how are you keeping I'm great thank you for having me on excellent stuff so who is Greg Benz uh, so yeah, so for those of you uh, who, who don't know me, which is probably a lot of you, uh, I'm a uh, landscape photographer based out of Minneapolis, Minnesota, which is uh, likes to call itself the bold north, where the colder part of the states. And um, I uh, have a particular focus on, uh, as you mentioned, luminosity masking. So uh, I'm a working photographer. I do sell my images, but I'm also a software developer and Photoshop instructor. So that's kind of my home base is all things Photoshop. So being locked in for me is, uh, well, it's just like Monday. Excellent stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent stuff. So, t so when did you start photography? Like, did you pick it up two years ago, 10 years ago? When was it? Uh, it was actually uh, 20 years ago and uh, ironically enough over in the UK. So I, uh, I spent six months living in London and uh, started just photographing everything in sight and uh, it just kind of snowballed from there. Wow. Wow. So would landscape be your favorite thing or would you have done weddings or portraits or 
Uh, talk me a bit more through uh, your style of photography. Yeah, so I've done uh, probably literally just about everything. Product shoots, weddings, family portraits, newborns, uh, sports, you know, events. Uh, but, but definitely home base for me is landscape. It's what I enjoy most, and it's the vast majority of what I do these days. Um, but I've, I've definitely done a bit of all of it, and it's, and it's kind of fun. I think it's part of my style is having tried a little bit of everything. Each of these different types of genres of photography teaches you something new. I mean, sports and, and babies uh, both taught me how to focus a little bit faster and keep up with the action. And weddings taught me how lighting works. And all these things kind of roll back into what I do with landscape. So to me, it all kind of blurs, uh, blurs together. And um, it just, you know, with 20 years, it's been, like I said, kind of a snowball where it started off as kind of this passion shooting digital. Then I ironically went back to shooting film for a few years because back in 2000, film was better than digital and, you know, kind of worked through all the different genres over the years. But I've really been very much focused on what I'm doing now for the last probably uh, five or eight years or so. I'm now a full-time professional uh, as of about three, well, four years ago almost now, um, very much deep in the landscape. And, And sadly enough, I think I've lost a little bit of the passion sometimes for the other genres. I think whatever I want to do is kind of what I love. And, and I don't really look at anything much else. I used to love shooting weddings until I, I didn't. Um, but, I, but I've done a little bit of everything. <laughs> Tell me, Greg, so what uh, camera system do you use now? Or have you changed over the years? Or have you stuck with one camera system throughout all the different genres of photography? Uh, well, my first interchangeable lens camera was a Nikon. And that's still what I use and, and, and love. I, I have owned a a Sony mirrorless I had the uh, a7R Mark II for a while. Didn't quite suit me from just a, what I'm familiar with standpoint. The ergonomics it takes beautiful images, no doubt about that. But uh, yeah, I've been I've definitely been a Nikon shooter for a long time, and I notice a lot of landscape shooters use it. It seems like we're a bit in the minority if you go around other crowds for weddings and sports and other things like that. But uh, yeah, I love the the Nikon system. So I shoot the D850. Um, I've actually got two of them. So my my goal as a photographer is to have two of the exact same body. That way I just, you know, if something breaks, if I need to change lenses mm-hmm. without opening up the body and exposing dust, all that kind of stuff, I have uh, the backup. And I've definitely needed that at times. So I just want two of the same thing, learn it really, really well, and then focus on on the art. I'd, I'd be hard-pressed to switch to something else just simply because I have so much knowledge in this system. I mean, there's tons of great cameras. But mm-hmm. for me, that's, I think, part of what I love about it is I just, I've spent 20 years learning a particular way of doing things and anything else is going to slow me down and I'll miss some of the action. Yeah, it's interesting you say it because both myself and Dermot shoot Canon and, you know, Dermot kind of jumped over to Sony for a small while but come back to Canon again and you you mentioned about, you know, muscle memory and being able to know what to do to ho- pick up the camera in whatever situation that it's in and bang, you know where your buttons are, where the features are, you don't have to flaff around and thinking, okay, it's a different one on this camera, a different one on that camera. But the question I have for you when you moved to Sony, what made, what prompted you to move to Sony? Was it for the dynamic range by any chance? Uh, no, because uh, I was shooting the D810 at the time and okay. then picked up the Sony and I would, I would call the image quality between the two indistinguishable from the standpoint that for me, I'm looking at how does it look printed on the wall 40 by 60 inches. That's kind of my uh, rough litmus test for all these things. Sure. And so at that level, you wouldn't know any difference. And you really wouldn't know any difference if you shot Canon, uh, unless you just really got in the weeds or some weird situation. Um, so the image quality is great. I was very curious, I think, to some degree, and, and hoping for reducing the weight by going towards mirrorless. So that was definitely the goal was, hey, how can I you know, go on these photo trips where I'm carrying all this gear on my back and come back with you know 
out the same soreness in my shoulders and, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. And, you know, I mean, it was nice, but I don't know that I really felt like there was a huge gain there. A lot of the gain for me was actually making different lens choices. So the body was a little bit lighter, but then I would get instead of a, an f2.8 telephoto lens, I get an f4 and things like that. Things I could do with a Nikon system as well. So at some point, I think I'll be trying the, the Z series from Nikon. I'd like to see it maybe move one more generation, catch up a little bit. We'll see what happens with Nikon. I mean, they're they're in third place these days and, you know, anything could happen. But they keep innovating the way they have over the last five, 10 years. Then I'm, I'm sure I'll probably migrate towards one of those things. And, and I'd love to lighten the load because, you know, God knows when you go on these <laughs> long hikes into yeah. the wilderness for, for landscape or even just walking around the city when you're trying to keep your gear with you because you don't want to leave it in some sketchy place where it could get stolen yes. or something like that. Yes. It's uh it's a burden. And and you don't bring it out as much either. You know, you suddenly like decide not to take pictures because the gear is is in the way. So yes. Yes. um I'll probably go to a mirrorless at some point here, but um that's that's kind of that was kind of the thinking and why I kind of came back. I, I don't know if it's any different from when I uh when I originally started shooting, I was shooting a handheld Canon PowerShot, I think it was called S20 or something. It was like a two megapixel digital camera back in London. And that's when I made the jump to film temporarily because film was better than kind of came yes. back. So it's not my first time where I was maybe jumped the gun a little bit for my own needs, but then headed down that path later. So I, I think a mirrorless is in my future at some point. I'd love to have it, but maybe not yet. Yeah, and, and yeah, lighter the, lighter lenses as well, as you hinted to there a moment ago, because we know most of the weight is in the glass that you're carrying around. So you can get this lovely small body, but you still have the huge glass. And as you say, a great point to go to the F4s because you don't need a 2.8 in reality if you're going to be shooting landscape photography, but carrying it around, it's uh, really, really heavy, yeah. Yeah, and I had all this heavy gear because I shot a lot. I mean, when I said shot, I shot weddings. I mean, I shot a lot of weddings, probably over 50 weddings over the years. And when I started going full time doing what I'm doing now, I didn't know if, you know, was this going to work? Would I fail? So I kept a lot of old gear and a lot of the gear I was shooting landscapes with were things that I bought to shoot, you know, weddings and other sporting events. So I had, you know, a long lens like a, a 70 to 200, but it was the F28 version because I was shooting portraits with it. Well, you know, it takes a long time to convince yourself you're never ever going to use this thing, right? To, to like actually give up on the old gear. So this last year, you know, the old uh, gear acquisition syndrome we talk about oh, photographers, oh, like he, filling up the closet. That, that, that's <laughs> the king. He's the king. He's the king. We actually have a crown and everything oh for him. Oh, yeah, my yeah. God. <laughs> Do you know what? The worst thing about this is the fact that Greg had no idea of what I'm like. And it still managed to peak its ugly rear head. Oh, my God. <laughs> Jesus. Well, I'm I'm trying to wear the uh, the crown for being uh, king of Craigslist this year and just sell as much as I can. It's it's still probably a ridiculous amount of stuff, but I, I think I sold at least half of my gear last year, and wow. uh, I don't miss it. So okay. it's been kind of nice. Yeah. Do you know what? No, I've actually I've no Darren can slag me all he wants. It's fine, but I actually have sold so much gear in the last three months. So I'm kind of happy in a weird way as well because I am trying to offload stuff that I that I don't need at the moment because I'm in the process of rebuilding my van into a camper slash utility van. So the funds that I get from that are kind of uh, doing this for me. So I don't have to take too much money out of my own pocket. But going back to the weight saving of your, your camera bodies and your lenses. So you are shooting on two Canon D850s, which are two Nikon, of Nikon D850s. What what did I say? Did I say Canon? How dare you like? Did I say Canon? <laughs> I'll oh forgive my God. You. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I went to Nikon uh, D850s. Sorry, my apologies. 
and they are very heavy cameras. I've used them and they, they're brilliant. They, don't get me wrong, they are top class. They're unbelievable cameras, but they, they do weigh a lot. And especially if you're having two of them and like if you have the lenses with them and then you're up on your back, like that does take a toll on you as you're going up the mountains and so on. And the older you get, the, the harder it gets, I'm sure. Like, you know, so when you come down from a mount hike in a mountain or whatever, you're going to feel it the next day. So if you kind of lighten the load as you go along with mirrorless and whatever, but the caveat to that though, if especially on the Canon side of things with these new RF lenses, like you look at the 28 to 70 F2, that lens is a mammoth. That thing is absolutely huge. So when you're actually shooting on it, it the proportion, the ergonomics of using that lens is a bit weird because it feels like the camera is going upwards because the lens is so heavy because the body weighs absolutely nothing. And I hope, I hope, they kind of fix that moving forward. Now, I don't know what the line, the, the roadmap for the lines of lenses for Nikon are, but do you know anything about that? Uh, I don't. I, I don't even really follow the rumor sites for the Nikon gear, so they may have some really cool things coming out. I'm pretty happy with most of what I have now, other than I'd like maybe a better wide angle for night skies because I've got the Sigma Art 14mm lens, and, and it's Beautiful definitely... Lens. That kind of lens you're talking about where you feel like you just strapped a bowling ball to the front of your camera yeah. and just wants to fall over. <laughs> and it's a beautiful lens, but it's only 14 millimeter. And I wouldn't mind trying out like their 14 to 24 or something like that because I, I end up bringing that lens. But then I want something that I can easily put uh, a neutral density filter on. So I, I've got a Nikon 16 to 35. And so you end up yes. with kind of this overlap and that's more gear and... Um, yeah, I'm not sure where that's all going to net out, but most of the time when I'm going out, I bring three lenses. I'll bring that 14 millimeter Sigma lens, which is great for ultra wide and for night skies. I've got that 16 to 35 Nikon, which I love for being able to easily put a, a you know, threaded front, yep. uh, neutral density filter on. And then a lot of times I'll bring a, a telephoto lens, which for me is going to be the Nikon 80 to 400 with a 1.4 teleconverter. So it gets the equivalent of. 560 millimeters um, because I'm really trying to shoot a lot more long lens shots. It's not comfortable for me. I'm not great at it. It's it's an area composition that I feel like I can improve. So I'm trying to force myself to take more of these shots, but it is a, a difficult trade-off because that lens, as you can imagine, adds a lot of weight to, mm -hmm. uh, to the bag yes. to bring it along. But it opens up totally new possibilities when you can see things from a different perspective. So I've been trying out like different compositional ideas and I'll, I'll kind of hammer on one or two for a while to force myself to get good at it because if I don't if I don't make myself learn the things that I'm not good at then I'll just kind of stick to the same small genre of kind of go-to techniques and all that but most of the time these days those are the only lenses I bring with me I mean I have cool. you know a good handful of other lenses but they rarely will will come with me Craig list them sell them off <laughs> exactly <laughs> even after all that work last year it's my tilt shift lenses i can't quite bring myself to get rid of those yeah there's, there's a, a, a lot of people want them but don't want to fork out the money because they're used very seldomly so yeah i don't know but come here look let's jump into the main reason why you're here greg you have invented what's called lumensia so we want to know what are luminosity masks sure so for those of the, who may not be familiar with the term or even, you know, Photoshop all that well, in, inside of Photoshop, when you're, you know, stacking together different layers to combine your images together, you have two main tools that let you decide where you're going to edit the photo. Let's say you've got a photo and the sky needs more color 
or maybe there's some kind of a, a cavernous foreground that you need to bring more light in the shadows, whatever. When you want to edit just particular parts of the image, you can use a mask, which is going to reveal certain parts of the image. So you, you know, can which layers you show, or you can use a selection and a selection is similar, but instead of changing the visibility of what's already there, a selection restricts what you can do to the image. So when you use a brush, a selection is basically like a stencil that would kind of guide where you paint, so you paint inside the lines. And Photoshop, of course, comes with all sorts of tools to make masks and selections, but the, the tools that are built in for the most part um, do not make it that easy to edit with kind of soft, natural edges. So you can select the sky, but you may have kind of that rough transition from one area to the other. And the general idea with a luminosity mask or luminosity selection is that in, you're making these masks and selections from the luminosity or the underlying color or some property of the pixels to say, hey, I want to work on just the highlights in the image. And it's different from using, say, like the, the magic wand, if, you're, if folks are familiar with that in yeah. Photoshop, where you'd click on like a pixel and select all the things like it. When you do that with the magic wand, everything's either just fully selected or not at all. Whereas with the luminosity mask, I could say, give me the highlights and it'll select the brightest pixels like white the most. And then it kind of naturally has less and less selection of the other areas. So you don't just go from fully adjusted to not adjusted. You have a natural transition kind so of like, it's a, like feathering a feather for one feathered effect. So would it would that be Wait, right? Say it again? Would it be kind of like in a feathered effect kind of a, it gradually fades off? Yeah, and it's it's not feathering in the sense that like a Gaussian blur where you just bleed over the edges. It's it's feathering in the sense that if I you know fully select white and then I've got like something next to it that's like a ninety percent gray, that's a little less selected. And if it's fifty percent gray, it's a lot okay. less selected. And if it's twenty five percent gray, maybe it's not selected at all. So it's proportional to the pixel values. And so where that could be really beautiful is if I'm working on the sky. Well, the sky doesn't go from like just sky pixels to foreground pixels. There's sort of a, a transition where things soften up at the edges. And so you get that natural adjustment from one area to the other, even if it's as simple as like the edges of the rocks and trees, which are not exactly sky or foreground. Sometimes those pixels are a bit of both. And so you can end up with these jagged rough edges if you don't have kind of that soft transition. And that's where the luminosity mask give you that ability to, you know, I like to think of it as telling Photoshop what you want to work on, right? I want to go adjust the trees or the sky or, you know, you translate that into Photoshop speak in terms of being like the green things or the bright things or the dark things. And it's allowing you to work on different parts of the image with a lot more precision, but also, um, I mean, it sounds very technical and it is, there's a learning curve, but once you get over it, it actually makes things easier because, you know, otherwise if you don't have these, these tools, then everything you're doing relies on the precision of your hand and your patience and all these other things. You can get very complicated trying to make sure you just paint in the right areas. Whereas when you have a luminosity selection, it's kind of like, uh, I don't know if uh, bowling is popular in, in Ireland or, or things like this, but in the US, you know, when, when folks bowl and you have like a kid's birthday party, they'll inflate these balloons in the gutter so the ball can't possibly go in the gutter. You're gonna go down and hit some I'm one of them. I need one of them all the time. Yeah. <laughs> And so, so it's it's a little bit like bowling with bumpers. When you get the when you get the right luminosity mask or selection, it's really hard to miss. You're much more likely to get a strike, okay. and, and that's kind of the beauty of of what they're all about. I love that analogy. That's brilliant. It actually can make a lot of sense for somebody that doesn't know, because like from I'm one of these people that I don't really use Photoshop. I use Lightroom, 
And the reason I don't use Photoshop, as I've said a number of times before, is it confuses me because it's like a spaceship with so many different buttons. And I say, okay, give me the easiest way to be able to do something that I want to be able to do that. So when it looks to, you say there, exact, exactly the perfect example is, you know, you try and go off and try and do something like me. And all of a sudden I go, yeah, okay, I'm getting this right. I'm getting this right. But I'm actually getting it all wrong. And then I've wasted that length of time to try and do something. And I say, in the end, sod that. I'm going to go back to what I know, which is Lightroom as an example, and I don't really go into the advanced areas, let's just say, of what's possible to get the most out of my images. So by using a luminosity mask and using the tool, as you say, it kind of ensures you, you're closer to getting a strike or you'll get seven pins every time. And, you know, 70% is, is better than your previous attempt, which was a... <laughs> 20% or a complete and utter miss, you know what I mean? So I think that's probably a good way to kind of to, to look at it from my point of view. And I suppose, Greg, when did you uh, invent this um, amazing solution? Um, I started developing Lumenzia back in uh, early, early 2014, about six years ago, okay. and uh, started selling it in February of 2015. So it's a, it's a little over five years old now. Um, and I've been using techniques like this for even longer, but it was at that point where the, the thing about luminosity masks is because they're not built into the software. And, and as you can tell from what I'm describing, they, they can be fairly complicated, right? Because it's not just a simple thing like I want the highlights or the shadows. There's different ways of doing it. So I can be very precise as to how quickly it feathers from selecting the white stuff to selecting the gray stuff and that sort of thing. Yeah. And that process for me was technical enough that I was kind of had my head stuck in things like working with alpha channels and all these things you have to do when you do it manually that I felt like I was using the the left side of my brain and, and being kind of an engineer or technician and not being an artist. And so my goal was to develop this piece of software that let me work visually. I really kind of built it for myself was the, the original inspiration to, to take that, that hardcore mathematical thinking and do it separately from the artistry. So when I sat down to edit an image, I could really think more like an artist and work on the image without having to be thinking too much about the the math or the technique or whatever. It was just it was too many decisions at once, and that was that was really kind of the the idea behind it. Okay, excellent. Yeah, yeah. it's very interesting. And come here. So, there, how much does it cost? And is there like different kind of packages that you offer, or is it just one flat thing? Or, or tell me more about what you offer to the general public, like ourselves. Yeah, so for anyone who just wants to try it, if you go on my site, which is gregbensphotography.com, I have a, a free luminosity masking panel, and it's, it doesn't really have a name. It's just called the free panel, and it actually has nothing to do with Lumenzia other than the fact that they both create luminosity masks, but Lumenzia is much more capable. So anyone who wants to try it, you can get the, the free panel, and it will generate um, basically uh, alpha channels, so you can load those up as selections of masks, and I've got videos on how to do that. Uh, Lumenzia itself is uh, is forty dollars US. It's thirty nine ninety nine, and that's really kind of the only tier per se. I have two other courses that I sell that you can buy with it as like a bundle, and they teach how to use the most popular uses of luminosity mass. So exposure blending and dodging and burning. So exposure blending would be when you you know potentially combine multiple images together to overcome the limits of your sensor. So you know when you have like the the blown out white sky and the black shadows and that kind of stuff, trying yeah. to cover more color detail. And you don't have to use multiple exposures. It's kind of, people think of it that way, but actually the most common use is taking a single raw exposure and, and using those techniques. 
So it's really all about getting more color and detail from your images. And the other one is the dodging and burning, which is largely it, from the way I teach it about getting more depth and dimension to your images. It can be a, a whole number of things, but uh, I almost you know, wondered about giving the, the course a different name because I don't think the way I teach it is the way people think about dodging and burning. It really goes into a lot of different areas of art and color and, and all sorts of other things that wouldn't be kind of traditional dodging and burning, but it's, it's ultimately about kind of taking the three-dimensional world and letting it shine through your two-dimensional photograph. Yeah, it's it. I, I, I like that idea because like when I, I the whole reason like this whole luminosity thing came up in the last week or two with us is like I got Nick Page and Adam uh, Adam Gibbs and Gavin Harcastle, Maz Peter Reeves and also and Greg Snell to critique some of my photographs because I feel like I'm stuck here at this level and I want to get up to here and I, I know it's just not this one thing that stopped me, but if I get the advice from other people and then there was one common denominator between all my photographs and there was a bit of haloing here, there, left, right and centre and they said, you need to start learning about luminosity masks. And so I was like, okay, let's see what these guys are using. So Nick is using Lumens, yeah. And then underneath that video, then you've getting a few people come in, okay, get this program, that program. But the one that was mentioned the most was Lumens, yeah. So I was delighted at the price of it. So for thirty nine ninety nine, that's a freaking steal, man, really, for a plug-in. Because you can pay hundreds and hundreds for other different programs, and which are an absolute nuisance to even install into your computer. So even using Lumens, yeah, the ease of even putting this into the computer, I just absolutely loved it. So kudos to you for that side of things, especially, if, well, for a Mac, I anyway, it was very easy. I don't know if it's the same on a Windows, is it? It is. Yeah, thank you for that. It's, um, yeah, the, the installation process for this is, is pretty similar to other, uh, what Adobe calls extension panels. It's um, technically a plugin is like its own standalone piece of software, doesn't need Photoshop to run, where it's an extension panel is like an enhancement to Photoshop, and that's what this is. Um, but uh, yeah, thanks. That's great. That's great to hear that uh, that was very easy for you. Brilliant, brilliant. So, so let, let me ask you, right? So like I said, I'm a person that hasn't used um, any type of masking whatsoever, to be honest with you, right? So I go off, I purchase it. Is it difficult for me to learn how to use it? Or do I have to go and learn extra things to be able to use it? Or can I use my, I suppose, is, is it more or less kind of self-intuitive to teach me how to get the basics right? I would say the tool itself in terms of creating the mask is is pretty intuitive. And anyone I've ever worked with who has a background in using luminosity mask picks it right up. The folks who I think face more of a learning curve are people who haven't used luminosity masks at all. And I, I certainly have customers who come in and tell me, hey, I bought Photoshop so I can use Lumenzia, which is always shocks me because I'm basically <laughs> just creating software that makes Photoshop better. So it seems a little bit reversed to me. But um, so So there are certainly folks who come in with really no... Uh, knowledge of these things. But I'd say if you have a, a foundational understanding of just general selections of masks, if you know what those terms mean, you're in a pretty good place to do these things, but you'll want to yeah. prepare to spend some time learning how, how to do it. It's not about the tool. It's really much more about what does a good mask look like and how do you use it? Uh, for example, most folks hear the term luminosity masking and they think, great, I want to create luminosity masks. And they'll go into you know, my free panel or Lumenzia or someone else's tool, whatever, and then just create like what would be called like an L3, you know, mass. That'd be like one of the types of mass you could create. The thing about it is uh, when you really start to understand what's going on, it's the luminosity masks per se are not really what's uh, all that useful. It's actually the luminosity selections. Okay. Um, so you start, you know, learning these processes 
And, and so it's, it's not hard to create the mass of the selections, but knowing what to do with them just takes a little bit more time to wrap your head around. Uh, and that's why I created these videos to help address these, you know, underlying things that people don't know about luminosity mask, but, um, yeah, expect, expect to spend some time learning it. I, I mean, I, I think it would be, um, misleading for anyone to say that luminosity masks are ever easy. I've tried my best to make them as easy as possible, but th there's a bit of a learning curve. Hmm. Excellent. It's funny when you said that because uh, at the start of that there we said you know people have bought Photoshop and uh, Lumens it's like buying a plane and not knowing how to fly it you know I thought it was very funny but come here look we'll go for a quick break for a word from our sponsor and we'll be right back and Greg you're going nowhere hold on for another bit and we'll uh, we'll uh, have our fans listen to you just another small Canon Nikon Sony all great batteries but at a great cost Extreme batteries from Hanlon are affordable and have increased ultra-high capacity, extra durability in stream conditions, shock-absorbing construction, and better yet, they even come in orange. Get yours now at Hanlon.ie. And you're very welcome back to the Irish Photography Podcast. And we still have Greg uh, here with us, thank God, to learn more about uh, Lumens, yeah, because I like what you're telling us so far, but I'm still don't fully understand. So let's take it back to the drawing board now, right? Let's start from the process of actually taking pictures, right? So I go out my landscape shoot. I love being out in the outdoors. I've no one to annoy me, no one talking to me. The birds are chirping. I set up my camera. I set my meter in mode at zero. I take a lovely picture. Does that all I need to do and then I come home or do I have to take a series of images like to bracket my images or talk me through what I'm going to do? Yeah, once you really master the process, it will definitely change the way you, you shoot. And there's all, we could have a much deeper conversation about that. But I'd say generally speaking, if you properly expose to the right, you take that one image where the important highlights are not blown out, but they're they're almost blown out, like, you know, that single exposure almost always is going to be enough to process what you need. But if you need to go beyond that, then you could take an additional exposure, like a brighter exposure, and it, and it could be like two stops brighter, you know, real simple. So most of the time, if I'm going to shoot more than one frame, it's probably just two. A lot of people go out and they set the camera to like bracket nine exposures and shoot everything. <laughs> and um, I find that's actually a way to degrade the quality of your images. You think you're getting more because you get more frames, but what you're doing is you're maybe not capturing the perfect moment where there's a sun star mm. or um, you only shoot one composition instead of three and, and, and that sort of thing. Um, so really just the same rules for exposure apply, but there are times when you may make some additional different choices. So I already talked a little bit about exposure blending where you can combine multiple exposures. So if you, you know, if your shadows don't have enough detail, which typically means they're gonna be noisy, you could shoot another frame and then combine that in so that the shadows were shot with a longer shutter and and blended or, or it could be a different iso or a different aperture you can actually change any of these settings it's not it's not like hdr we have to kind of live within kind of tidy bounds um, you can do some pretty fancy things but you can blend this together to, to get that extra detail and then once you once you master that then like i said you can really push beyond that so i sometimes will shoot like a sunset in a city where I've got a beautiful sun and then I'll shoot, you know, more frames 30 or 40 minutes later and capture like the best lights in the windows and, you know, put all these things you know, together. So um, it becomes a little bit like cooking. We're grabbing different ingredients in the kitchen and you're kind of putting them together to, 
you know, make whatever uh, whatever soup you want to make. So you don't have to live within the context of just that single frame. You can take the best of, of different moments. And, and a lot of times that's where I think some of the magic comes through is that, you know, the way we experience the real world is we, we sit in a place and we observe it for 10 minutes or two hours or whatever it is. And we see all these things happening and a photograph, you know, just out of the camera is one really small slice in time. And so, you know, being able to take these different frames and pull them together, you can combine, you know, better clouds, better lights, better waves, whatever it may be. And, and the blending process can be really helpful in trying to put all those things together and, and tell the story in the way that makes the most sense to you. Or you can just keep it really simple and just blend for a little shadow detail, but it's, it's all out there. So you, you, you mentioned there that it would change how you take the photograph because you know, obviously, <clears throat> how you're going to process that photograph. So if I'm going off out, something happened to me on a recent trip that we went to. I lost the foundation kit to hold my filters, right? I decided to go over the side of a cliff, but uh, whatever. But I no longer need my filter system now so effectively because I can go and I can bracket my shots because if I'm using my filter system, do I need to use... Lumenzia, and if I don't use a filter system, do I need to use Lumenzia to be able to get exactly as you say there the you know the exposure being brighter for the darker areas, but not blowing the absolute highlights that there's nothing left. I need to have a filter to enable me to do that. Or if I don't have a filter, I can do my exposure bracketing, and then using Lumenzia, I've got a better chance with my guidelines going down my bowling lane to get it all to come together later. Yeah. Yeah. So if, you, if you're shooting with a graduated neutral density filter, one of those ones that is like dark on one side and clear on the other, yes. you can you can leave that at home. You don't need that at all with with exposure blending. Uh, and those are never a great fit anyway, because, you know, unless you're shooting, you know, the ocean with with nothing flat. else in it, you rarely ever have a horizon that's going to be flat like that. So yeah. this gives you a lot more control to, you know, contour the light to the shape of what's there. Um However, you know, like a polarizer, there's no way to, to replace that yes. in Photoshop. You, you know, if you if the effective of a polarizer is unique, so if that's important to your shot, you still need to capture it. And I would say that you know, using luminosity mass, it's like anything else in Photoshop. It's still garbage in, garbage out. So if you if you don't feed it good, high quality raw files, then you limit the potential of what you can create on the other side. So it's really a question of what can't you do in Photoshop. Well, certainly, um, you know, you can't do um, polarizer effects, really. I mean, there's, you know, some cases where you can kind of fake it. Um, or a neutral density filter, just a general, the whole thing is equally dark, maybe a three, six, 10 stop neutral density filter. Well, what that's giving you is not control over the light person as much as giving you the ability to change your shutter speed. So if I'm shooting at sunset and the waves are really choppy and the sky has a bunch of really uh, overly detailed clouds. I want to smooth everything out. Well, I might only get to like one tenth of a second exposure with my camera, but yeah. if I throw an ND filter on it, suddenly I'm shooting 30 seconds and yeah. that raw is going to look a lot better. So, I, you know, I personally use ND filters a lot. Uh, sometimes use polarizers uh, and that's it. I've, I've never shot with a grad. I think I've owned two or three of them and I Craigslisted <laughs> all of them. I've, I've never found a, a need for them. And that's just one less thing to uh, to play around with. So that's really the one place you can get rid of it. But I I do find a lot of people probably overusing these tools. You know, it's it's always good to be thoughtful as to what they're what they're giving you in the image. And the things they give you for general photography are pretty much the same thing with luminosity mass, other than that idea of the graduated filter, where especially back with like the film days or less capable camera, you're just 
you couldn't get everything in, in one shot. Mm-hmm. 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 Interesting. And what equipment uh, filters are you using for your camera? Is there using Lee, uh, Nisi, uh, KS filters? Is there a particular brand that you like to use? You know, I've tried most of them. I've, I've never tried uh, Nisi, although my friends, especially my friends over in Europe and the Middle East, love them. Um, the the ones that I use and just think are incredible are from an American company called uh, Breakthrough oh, yeah. out in oh, California. Yes. And I am just blown away at how good these are. I mean, to give you a sense of, of how capable they are, I can put the 10-stop uh, ND filter on my camera, which is a lot of stopping power. Unless you're shooting like, you know, five-minute exposure in midday sun, mm-hmm. um, that's all you would ever need yes. at the max. And with that, the color error is like, I'll change my color temperature by like the smallest possible increment in wow. in Lightroom. So um, it's really about as close as invisible in terms of like affecting your image as you could possibly get. When you use their 15 stop, it does start to change the color temperature by maybe like a thousand Kelvin, which is very easy to correct. So there's no real degradation. And when I've tried um, you know other systems, uh, Singray is great, Lee is great. I, I would have nothing negative to say about them. They're They're all excellent. Um, but I've been most impressed with breakthrough, which if you use the, the threaded kind of screw in type filters that I'm talking about that, you know, that that's what I prefer. I think they're really kind of the way to go for this. But, um, you know, if you prefer like the drop in where you have the big square, yeah. and you put it in front of your lens, which can be handy if you want to take it on and off to focus the camera, things like that. Some people prefer that. And I don't think that breakthrough makes those. I'm not sure about that. So, okay. you know, that's always a, a consideration, but that's a really nice system, the, the breakthrough system. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting because we had we uh, were guests on another podcast there. Uh, when was it, Darren? Monday was it? Or Sun? Yesterday was it? Friday. Oh, it fr- live Friday. <laughs> Friday. And yeah, she's my mind has been fried since this uh, lockdown. You know, I don't know what day it is anymore. So Paul Thompson uh, uses breakthrough filters, and he doesn't like using the uh, graduated filters either. He likes to screw on filters. So. That's mad now how two people in the last few days who I've talked to, and I've never really heard of breakthrough photography until this weekend, really, you know. So I think it's something that I'd nearly like to have a look at, or should I? I'm probably end up spending more money than I want to. It's shiny. You have to have it. (laughs) (laughs) Go away. away. They they are really nice. If If you don't have anything, you know, I'd say the only reason to choose something else would be if you want like the drop in, because those are nice. If you want to like quickly move it out of the way to focus, things yes, like that, yeah. you know, threaded can be a little bit of pain for that. Or uh, if you're shooting with the ultra wides, there's no option there. So like my 14 millimeter, you know, then you got to buy one of these like fancy, super big pieces of glass and there's, you know, there's no breakthrough yeah. option for something like that. Yeah. But yeah. They're, they're he has nice. it. I have one. He has it. I have yeah. one. <laughs> I have the, uh, the 12 to 24 F4, the Sigma Art one, and it's a beast of a lens, but it's uh, optically, it's just unbelievable. It's tack sharp. It's beautiful image when you're finished, but you've to attach this kind of super massive thing. There's like a, a jaws teeth onto the front of it. And then you've to use the SW150 system. So you're using 170 mil filters long wise and 150 wide. And like all the guys, they just make fun of me every time we go out shooting and they're using these nice little petite little filter systems that work perfect. And then there's me with this monstrosity of a thing. But, you know, I'm getting better images than you anyway, so ha. (laughs) (laughs) What do you do to keep those clean? You know, I think the biggest thing I I don't like about the drop-ins is I feel like either they're going to break in my bag 
or I go out by the ocean and then I get that spray of water and now there's like spots all over my images and it's so hard to clean. They're just, it's a huge, it's like, it's like cleaning the windows in yeah. your house. It's so big. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. I do bring a, bot, a small bottle of spray and a um, lint-free cloth kind of thing. Yeah. And I just wipe that out. But it's funny to say you'd be afraid of breaking. I went to Norway in November over to the Lofoten Islands and they were in my, uh, no, I thought they were safe in my, uh, what's that thing you carry with a suitcase? Jesus, my brain is fried. And uh, by the time we got there, open up the suitcase, uh, my reverse grad, Nisi one, uh, which cost me 250 euros, and then my HD polarizer, which cost me another 250 euros. The two of them smashed. And I just sat there just going, I sure look, great start to the trip. <laughs> Uh, that's the worst moment is it when you break the gear it's like it's not the cost it's like the rest of the trip you're shooting without that thing yes yeah and, and you know what no right now that I think about it actually sorry to digress here a second Greg right but you are kryptonite dermid to gear because like you broke your filters there when you went to Norway right we went to the Dolomites yeah. you broke my drone and we went up to... <laughs> I did the, not break your drone. We went on our trip to Donegal <laughs> and you made my filter thing jump off the front of my camera over the cliff. I mean, you are kryptonite to gear, like. Do you know? Oh, Jesus Christ. Just to clarify, uh, Greg, there is video footage of this. It's not my fault. He crashed <laughs> his drone from five feet high because yeah. it got caught in his glove when he tried to do this fancy kind of flyaway in his hand. And yeah, it just turned upside down, nose dived into the snow and broke the gimbal. So... Not my fault, and we have video evidence of this. Yeah, also. I know, I know. It was very no, sad. I managed to sad. crash a drone in my own house once, so I'm, I'm right there with you. <laughs> hold on, hold it, rewind there. In your own house, you managed. What? Please elaborate on this situation. So you remember when the uh, the DJI Mavic first came out? It was one of these you know newer ones that had like the collision avoidance yes. system and all this kind of stuff. Mavic yeah. Air. So. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm a, you know, I'm that guy who needs to test these things. Yes. Well, it showed up, um, I was sick at the time, and it showed up, and I was housebound, and I couldn't get out, but I was too impatient to wait. And I thought, well, I'll just fly in the living room a little bit. No big deal. I'll just, I'll just pop it up, just make sure it works, whatever, right? <laughs> well, I do that, and I'm like, well, I'll just move it around a little bit. And then it starts beeping the warnings when you get close to something. I'm like, oh, that's amazing. You know, it works really well. So then, then I try it a little bit faster, and um, <laughs> it turns out there is a limit in terms of how fast you can fly your drone directly at a large canvas before it goes in and uh, scrapes the the, uh, the front of the canvas off. Oh, Jesus. No. Oh, God. Oh, no. <laughs> we, oh, did, did, it, did it rebound? Was it okay? Was, was it was it goosed or was it a damage or what? Well, you know, so my significant other was um, looking for a good excuse to get rid of that particular piece. It was one of my older images, and she wanted something new. Um, so it worked out just fine. We redecorated. Okay. <laughs> it kind of worked out in your favor. So I was just about to say, whether it's your wife or your girlfriend or whatever, your, your owner, I thought she was going to kill you. Well, oh, that's when, very when I crashed my drone, the first words that came out of my mouth, and it was actually on camera as well, was to say, that's ah, okay, DJ are bringing out the Mavic 3 soon, so I'll wait a bit to get that. So I was looking for an excuse after breaking the drone in the first place, but it's horrible when you break gear, you know? It's really, really, yeah. as you say, it's not the cost of it, but it's at the start of the trip, and you go, I can't do anything now, what I wanted to do with this, and this is why I brought it, and now it's broken. So, yeah, I think breaking gear is not something anybody enjoys, really. That's, oh, yeah. uh, that's why I bring two camera bodies. I went out to um, this very remote area in the United States called White Pocket. It takes about two hours from the nearest gas station to get there on dirt roads Whoa. and all this stuff. And 
on the way out, I was traveling with a couple guys I just met. I didn't know these guys at all till about an hour before this. And uh, one <laughs> of them, yeah, and, <laughs> as you do. And, and, and one of the guys turns to me, you know, he says, "Why are you bringing two camera bodies?" I says, "Well, you never know if you're going to break something." Well, sure enough. About the first image I took when we got there, I didn't set it up properly. It fell over on the rocks and smashed the front <sighs> of the camera right off. Oh, <laughs> so, Jesus. Oh. Jinx myself. Oh, my God. Genie Mac. Yours like me, so I always bring two bodies. Always. Every time, no matter where I go, I don't care. So I have two Canon ESRs, and they come absolutely ever at me. No, but well, you, it was it was amazing because I had the the Nikon fourteen to twenty four lens, which is that huge, big bulbous front. That's right, it's huge, and it, yeah. it snapped the mount off the camera when it hit the rocks, wow. and then the the lens got wedged in like kind of a V shaped part of the rock. So somehow neither the front or the rear glass on the lens got scratched in the slightest, oh my gosh. and it was still usable for the rest of the trip. But the the front of the camera no longer had like the mount was gone. It was just like a sensor. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> amazing so come here look let's jump back onto the lumenzia train so what i want to know is is it just masking that you can use for kind of the luminance values of your photograph so matching the the brightness of the sky and all this and uh, exposure blending can i use it for other things other than that like can i use it for astrophotography or can i use it for portrait photography can I use it for sharpening and all that? Is there other uses to it besides uh, your quote-unquote unquote, landscape photograph? Oh, yeah, definitely. So it, anytime you might use a selection or mask in Photoshop, that's a potential area where you could use a luminosity mask or selection. And, and because of the quality it gives you, it, it probably encourages a lot of situations where you wouldn't have used one at all. And, and you can do further things like exposure blending. is not something you would probably do without these techniques for the most part. Um, but you can you can make the selections based on the luminosity, based on the color, uh, based on the saturation of the pixels. Uh, Lumenzi even has a mode where it will compare the relative brightness of one pixel next to it. So I've got like a demo on my site. You can see where there's a lighting pattern on the wall that I wanted to enhance, and it selects all the little spots where the light hits the wall. Um, so there's a lot of different ways you can use it, and so all these different genres benefit from it. I, I show a bunch of landscape demos because that's what I photograph, but let's say you're... Um, Maybe you shoot children, you know, you're a family photographer. Well, you imagine how those kids are always running around and you know, it's impossible to get them to sit still and control the light. So you're gonna have situations <laughs> where the light's imperfect. And, and yeah. I, had, I had a scene like that once, this kid ran and his hand got out in direct sunlight and I wanted to kind of tone down his really bright hand while well, I could select the brighter light on his hand and diminish it. And it doesn't make it look the same as if I got him in a perfect light, but it really recovered that image. Or mm. um, you could dodge and burn to take you know, the highlights and shadows on the cheekbone or the nose or other parts of the face and further enhance that to make the face look more three-dimensional. Or you could uh, get more color out of the background sky. You apply landscape techniques to a, a portrait shot out in the real world. I mean, there's really kind of endless... Uh, opportunities and and my own customers are always surprising me with these really neat things they do because they're out shooting um, you know wildflowers and sports and you know weddings and all these other things they're doing that I haven't done in a while for the most part uh, and it's really neat to see how they do it so it's it's really kind of limited by your creativity but it you definitely see more examples in landscape just because you know I think landscape photographers are willing to spend more time on their images yeah. um, they need to push things further and there's just I think it's kind of like what everyone's taught so that that's what everyone knows. You don't see a lot of people teaching how to use it in these other genres. And and that's something I'd love to do someday is kind of catch up and show more demos in other types of photography because 
you know, who knows how to use it if you've never seen it demonstrated, right? It's kind of hard to, to just figure it out yeah. for nothing sometimes. Yeah, because it's the one uh, reason why I asked you that question is because I know Jeff Harmon and you've done an interview with him on the Improved, Improved Photography podcast. And he was saying that he uses uh, like a green screen to uh, over blow over the background so then he can mask the human uh, for a kind of an ESPN kind of basketball photograph. And, and when I heard that on the podcast, I said, oh, oh, geez, I have to try that. But in order to try that, I need to learn the basics of Lumenzia. So uh, I'm your very, what you call, rookie to this kind of thing. So like I said, the reason why I want to do it is to get better. And I'm not going to chance that until I kind of start your tutorials and all like that, which you can get on your website, I think, is it? Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, so. all, all those things, you know, I always encourage people that it, it's really good to watch whatever tutorial you're, you're seeing and just think about how you can... What, what are the lessons that transfer to what you're doing, right? So if you're, if I'm selecting a bright sky, you can say, well, all right, well, I could select a green background. That kind of has, it's a similar challenge. It's a different thing, but the same principles uh, apply. And so largely a lot of the techniques that we'd use in these different luminosity masking tutorials, they'll apply to something else. And you always have to adapt it, right? Because the challenges of some specific scene that I shoot are not the same as, you know, I shoot in um, an ocean scene and you're shooting in a forest scene or whatever. There's always going to be some, some differences and some creativity uh, required with all that. Question actually for you now that I think of it, you know, so you created this amazing program. You've been able to have people get the most out of their images, get better and be able to think differently how they're taking the photos. They're utilizing, as you said earlier, you know, the, the tools that are within Photoshop, but you've packaged them in a way that makes it easier, makes it more user-friendly, allows them to get consistently better results every single time. So, you know, it sounds like a fantastic um, evolution, let's just say, for the next level from a photography point of view. But let me ask you this question. How does it feel when you hear or see people who are the big names in photography use your program and use your techniques, let's just say, and then tell people that it's so good? How does that make you feel? Oh, it's, I mean, it's its so flattering. And um, I mean, believe me, I don't think a lot of people go into photography because they expect to make a lot of money you mm -hmm. know, going because you, you're passionate about it. And I happen to be very passionate about helping other photographers with their art through um, through the luminosity masking and through teaching. And so um, that's always fun when one of my own personal heroes uh, does something, which is, you know, that's the way it kind of happened when, when Nick Page reached out to me and said, hey, I, you know, want to use Lumenzia or... Uh, recently, uh, Thomas Heaton did a, a video on Lemenzia. I had no idea that he had it. He, you know, he and I had never um, connected in, in real life mm -hmm. or, or email or anything like that. And one of my customers sent me this video, like, "Hey, he's, you know, he's using your stuff." So it's, uh, it's, it's very satisfying because, um, like I said, I mean, I created originally for my own needs, but it's become so much more, and, mm -hmm. it, and it's very much for me about helping other people. And so um, there's nothing I love more than seeing someone you know, have success with it. They make a great image. They want to tell other people about it. That's, uh, it's a lot of fun. Mm. Yeah, congratulations. Awesome. It sounds like a fantastic program. And it's, you know, or, sorry, it's fantastic ability to be able to edit your photos. But um, I think it's great to be able to see a lot of people worldwide use it and use it again and then use it again and then get better again and better again. And like I said, it's something that I haven't done. We did give each other a challenge around a year ago to learn luminosity masks and we still haven't. Um, and actually, <laughs> Lumenzia was the program that we were actually going to use as well to, to teach us. So I think we finally have to kind of 
do it really well, I've bought it you have to I haven't it done now. it yet you know what I mean but yeah I, I do because um, I definitely want to learn more about Photoshop because I only use Lightroom um, and for exactly the reason as I said is that there's far too many buttons far too many ways to get a roundabout way to do something and every time I go back in I might get a result that I liked and I go back in the next time and go how did I do that? What did I do to get to that result? I haven't saved it as an action. And somebody only said to me an action two weeks ago, and I went, a what? So do I just save it as an action? I said, a what? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I'm very much so that I haven't got a clue. Uh, so I think it'll be a good steep learning curve for me. So maybe I'll be uh, Greg there and saying, Greg, I'm stuck on page two, paragraph four, <laughs> importing the photo. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, g- give me a shout anytime. I, I actually... Um I mean, I, I pride myself on being really responsive and, and, and you know, resp- attending to various customer questions. But um, I always enjoy, you know, these questions like, how do I do this or that? Um, I find that, um, I mean, not only am I helping someone, you know, get better use out of it, but I learn a lot because whatever you're doing is going to be different from my work. And, and everyone always teaches me something. So those are always really uh, fun moments for mm. me. Mm. Cool, cool. One last question now before we wrap this up, Greg. What is the difference between the basic panel and the Lumenzia panel in Photoshop? Oh, yeah, yeah, good question. So um, so Lumenzia comes with the basic panel. So it's two panels that come together as a package. I, I promote Lumenzia, but it has this secondary panel, so you, you can't buy them separately. And the reason that there are two panels is what's in the basics panel are things that are sort of supporting functions you would frequently want to use when you're working with luminosity mass, whether it's uh, access to different blend modes or the ability to um, help visualize certain things or um, you know, just isolate your layer, right? Because you, you, by the time you throw the mask on and opacity and all these other things, you do, sometimes it's hard to see what's going on. So the basics panel has these supporting functions, but a lot of them are ones that are available as keyboard shortcuts in Photoshop or maybe not everyone needs. So they're 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 the kind of things that not every every user would want. So I made it a separate panel. So if you want it, you can put it up on the screen where it suits you. It can be like kind of tucked away and you open it up when you want it. It could be on the screen all the time, or if you're not gonna use it, you don't have it. So it's just it's only a separate panel just to give you more flexibility in how it looks uh, on the screen in Photoshop. Cool, brilliant. Okay, so Greg, thank you very much for coming on. We really do appreciate it. You have a wealth of knowledge in that, that head of yours. It's it's, I, it's a, like a beautiful mind. And I'd stay, if I looked in there, I'd be scared. <laughs> all you can see is zeros and ones. All you'd, all you'd see like would be shiny things that Greg has that you have to own too, you know? <laughs> Go on to Craigslist and you'll probably see where Greg is selling all oh, his old stuff. Uh, no, you may not be able to use it for Nikon, but it's shiny. It's camera gear. You, will, cannot, you cannot but look at it, you know? yeah 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 but Greg can you tell us more uh, where can people find out more about Greg Greg Ben's photography and Luminenzia Luminenzia so uh, the hub of everything is my website which is gregbensphotography.com that's Jerry G-B-E-N-Z photography.com and you'll see links up top and down below for uh, free tutorials the free panel Luminenzia if you want to learn more about that etc and I've got a newsletter that I regularly send out tutorials that are covering you know not just luminosity mass but other things in photoshop as well brilliant and uh can people find you have your youtube channel i do uh i don't remember the the exact address but that's linked off of my my page as well so that's uh okay perfect. i try to put up new tutorials on youtube about once every two weeks or so okay so. brilliant 
for layman's people like me, keep it simple so I can understand it. <laughs> <laughs> well, hang on, what would it be yeah, for me yeah. so? Because if you're a layman's oh, and I haven't got a clue, Jesus. I mean, I might as well be, what? I've no idea. Five-year-old. <laughs> a Neanderthal. Five-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Greg, thank you very much for coming on. We really do appreciate it. Oh, thank you guys for having me on. Appreciate yeah, it. Greg, nice to meet you. Thanks very much. Thanks, Long to fall, everybody. Yep. Hey guys, if you dig what you're hearing, why don't you jump over to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a five-star rating, and don't forget to share with your friends. With all that done, we'll see you next week, and remember, keep shooting.